Good morning, Mill City Church. We are glad to be with you again. Thank you, especially if you're visiting us from the first time. Someone shot you a link or you saw a post on Facebook or somewhere else. We're really glad that you could check out our church from the comfort of wherever you are, and, and you're very welcome here. Uh, let's say a prayer, and then we're going to take a look at a scripture passage for today. Jesus, we thank you for being with us no matter what, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through. You can always be with us. You promise to always be with us. So we're claiming that today. We're trying to become aware of it as we gather together across all these different locations. We just take a pause in these lives that we're living and remember that no matter what we're facing, you're still there and you understand and you've been through it yourself. And so thank you for your presence. Thank you for your reassurance. Uh, be our teacher and our guide as we look at scripture this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. We're in the middle of a sermon series called How Do We Live? And we've been looking at Paul's letters to different churches over the last few weeks. And if you missed a couple of the sermons, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of those on our website. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the book of Philippians, the letter to the church in Philippi. And our church has been reading through the New Testament in 2020, which is a plan we had way back in January. And we're already halfway through, more than halfway through the New Testament. So that's exciting. We're in the book of Philippians, and hopefully you've been reading along with us. And even if you haven't, you could just jump in where we are right now and start reading uh, in these letters that Paul wrote. Uh, this question that's the series title, How Do We Live?, seemed like such an appropriate question in this moment, doesn't it? Because we're all asking these questions right now. Like, how, how, how do we live? How, how do we go to school this fall if we can? And how, how do you go to the store? And how do you stay connected to people that you care about that you might not be able to, to gather with? How, how do you do your work? We have some neighbors now where both parents are working full time and they have four kids at home. And you can see them going up and down stairs trying to figure out who's working at what time and who's helping the children. And um, we've got friends who are living as single people who are trying to stay relationally connected but feeling somewhat isolated because they live by themselves most of the time. Well, we're all just asking these questions like, how do we do this? It seems to change all the time, every day, every week, every month, and we're looking forward, trying to find some rhythm to how we live our lives in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of questions about racial justice, it's a whole host of things that are affecting our answers to this question, aren't there? If you feel that way, you're not alone. That's how we're all feeling at the moment. And so it seems even more important for us to look at Scripture and say, you know, how would Paul instruct us? How does God want to speak to us about how we're living our lives in the midst of these unprecedented circumstances? What does a Jesus way of life look like in July of 2020? And how might a Jesus way of life be different than another way of approaching this time that we're in? Those are the questions we're going to try to tackle this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, can access a scripture passage in some way, turn to Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2. I want to give you a little bit of background on this letter that Paul wrote first. He's writing from prison, or he might be on house arrest in Rome. It's not exactly clear, but he's being held because of the preaching that he's done about the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the church in Philippi, which was the first church that he helped start in Eastern Europe. Uh, Philippi was a very patriotic city. It had a lot of ex-military folks from the Roman military who lived there. So they cared a lot about the Roman Empire. 
and that influenced the way in which they engaged with the message of Jesus. Paul received a gift from the Philippians sent through a guy with a really cool name, uh, Epaphroditus. Can you say that? Epaphroditus? I'm probably saying it wrong, so if you feel like you're saying it wrong, don't worry about it. Paul's writing this letter to send back with him to say thank you for the financial gift and the resources that they sent to try to care for Paul while he was in prison. And so as you've noticed over the last months, we've encouraged you as we're reading through the New Testament to take advantage of these videos from the Bible Project, bibleproject.com. So we got a short clip from a a nine-minute video that they did on introduction to Philippians, So we're just going to watch a couple minutes of it to try to give us an idea of the center of this letter, which is a poem about Jesus. So let's take a look at that video now. Paul into the great poem of chapter 2. It's rich with echoes of Old Testament text, specifically the story of Adam and his rebellion in Genesis 1 through 3, and the poems about the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah. This poem is worth committing to memory. It is a beautifully condensed version of the gospel story. So before becoming human, the Messiah pre-existed in a state of glory and equality with God. And unlike Adam, who tried to seize equality with God, the Messiah chose not to exploit his equal status for his self-advantage. Rather, he emptied himself of status. He became a human. He became a servant to all. And even more than that, he allowed himself to be humiliated. He was obedient to the Father by going to his death on a Roman execution rack. But through God's power and grace, the Messiah's shameful death has been reversed through the resurrection. And now God has highly exalted Jesus as the King of all, bestowing upon him the name that is above all names, so that all creation should recognize that Jesus the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that last statement is astounding. Paul's quoting from Isaiah chapter 45. It's a passage where all creation comes to recognize the God of Israel as Lord. Paul's point here is very clear. In the crucified and risen Jesus, we discover that the one true God of Israel consists of God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And so for Paul, this poem, it expresses his convictions about who Jesus is, and it does more. It offers the example of Jesus as a way of life that his followers are to imitate. And so that. So you get this idea that this poem, this letter is structured around this poem, like the poem is the sun and the rest of the letter are planets that are going around the sun. And uh, so we're going to take a look at just what does this poem say to us. Let's read it together. And if you have the opportunity to read it out loud as I'm reading it out loud in your home, uh, it comes alive in a different way. So follow along with me and read along with me if you feel comfortable. Chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here's where the poem begins. Who, who, being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, King, to the glory of God the Father. So this poem that Paul puts right at the middle of this letter is a summary of the good news about Jesus. And the way I want to talk about it this morning is that it highlights a Jesus pattern for a way of life, right? What's the Jesus pattern for life as we ask the question, how do we live? And a few weeks ago, I highlighted this pattern in a different way for you, but I want to repeat it. This pattern is something like that we receive and recognize the blessing that God gives to us. That can be forgiveness, that can be identity as a child of God, that can be calling on our life, that we receive from God who we are and what we're supposed to be about. And then we take steps in our lives to empty ourselves out, to give to others out of what God has blessed us with. And, and in doing so, we are changed. We become people who are more and more like Jesus and also, as we pour ourselves out, as we give out of what we have received, the world has changed. The world becomes a different place. Now, it's a really simple pattern in some ways, but it's very countercultural to what a lot of what many of us are taught or have come to believe in our lives about what life's really about. So this Philippians poem, uh, in, in that Jesus is highlighted as God, Paul starts to show us the same pattern. Let me highlight it for you that Jesus has all the rights and privileges of God. Now imagine you're a, a Greek person, a person with a Greek background, and you're used to living in a pluralistic culture where there are lots of gods, and the gods all have different interests and different uh, powers and gifts and authorities. And Paul's telling this, writing this poem about this God. He says, this God has all the rights and privileges that come with being God. But that, this God didn't use those rights and privileges to get something for himself. Instead, God used his status. Jesus uses his status for the benefit of other people. He becomes a servant by becoming human, by becoming one of the created beings, and he accepts all the limitations of being human in order to help the humans, in order to help us. So instead of using his God status to make humans serve him, he becomes a human. This would have been really confusing to a bunch of retired Roman soldiers in Philippi. They'd have been like, why doesn't he just make us serve him like all the other rulers we have in our lives? No, he actually becomes one of them and then submits himself, even allows himself as God to be killed, to, to go and, and experience death in order to overcome sin and death and evil that plagues humanity and give people a way out. Through trust in Jesus Christ, not even death can keep you from this loving, healing relationship with God. So you have this picture in this very short poem of the Jesus pattern of the way of life. Instead of using your status and what you've been given to just to better your own life and get what you want, you give it up for the sake of other people. And by doing that, you become a different person. 
and the world that you live in is transformed. That's the Jesus pattern that we see here in Philippians. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Professor John Dunn gave a sermon on the same topic from the book of Galatians. And he talked about the importance in the book of Galatians of not only defining Christian faith and Christian way of life in terms of moral values. He talked about how that was a battle in the, in the book of Galatians of people trying to figure out what's the moral way of life to live as a Jesus follower. In no way am I saying that living a moral life isn't important. It is important. And the distinction of Christian morals should be uh, very obvious in the midst of the world that we live in now. But John made this point, and I agree, that following Jesus is more than just living a moral life. It's more than just avoiding sin or not doing certain things that maybe other people would do. It's about joining this pattern and looking for ways to pour ourselves out out of what God has blessed us with in order to transform ourselves and transform the world. We are, in, Phil in Philippians, Paul's wanting to say, we are a living example of the story of Jesus to those around us. We are a living example. Our story ought to be an illustration of Jesus' story in the world that we live in. Now, this is going to be a very, very oversimplified example, but I want to talk about something that may or may not have happened in my own house. Well, imagine you're a kid that has three pieces of licorice, and there happens to be two other siblings in your house. Again, hypothetical situation. <laughs> and the other kids have no right to your licorice. All three pieces of your licorice are yours. You can do anything you want with them. Now, you can either eat all three pieces of licorice, or you could hand two of your pieces of licorice to your brother and your sister. And then you're going to watch your parents just react in a very odd way because they're so excited that you decided to share the two pieces of licorice rather than eat all three pieces of licorice for yourself. I know this is kind of a silly example, but parents will react to that because what do they see? They see in a very minute way this Jesus way of life coming through in their kids, that it's more important to share what you have with others than to hoard it all for yourself. And that pattern then becomes much bigger when we start talking about helping out coworkers on projects that you have no responsibility for, but you're concerned about them doing well with their job, so you help them out. Or speaking up for people, maybe you have a voice and, and they don't have as much of a voice in a situation, but you use your voice to speak out on behalf of them. Uh, maybe you care for some people who can't care for themselves. I know a lot of people who are doing that right now, investing their time and their energy to help other people who can't care for themselves at the moment. Maybe you're creating a home for children who otherwise wouldn't have a home to call their own. Maybe you're making sure that some kids have enough to eat instead of only worrying about the kids in your own life having enough to eat. Maybe you're connecting with someone who might otherwise feel extremely lonely in the midst of this pandemic, even though you don't have to connect with them because you have enough community for yourself. You see, all these little examples are ways that we can follow this Jesus-patterned way of life that's in this poem and give ourselves up for the sake of other people. That doesn't mean we have to help so much that we totally exhaust ourselves. We have to be mindful to care for ourselves so we have something to give. And Jesus did that many times. He'd steal away when he was tired. He would rest when he needed to. He would reconnect with the Father in order to re-energize. But then we come back and we say, how can we be of help? How can we be of service? How can we pour ourselves out the way Jesus did in order to serve other people? I have this wonderful mask 
that people from Mill City made for, for me as part of their ministry. And I want to just talk about the mask for a second because I know it's a hot button issue. How in the world did we make this a political issue, by the way? I'm really kind of amazed by that. When I see the mask, let me tell you what I see when I, when I look at it through the Jesus way of life that we're talking about this morning. Um, they say that the mask, you know, and I know there's all kinds of arguments about it. I say that the mask protects you from me, right? It doesn't actually help me to put this mask on. It's my effort to care for the people around me by wearing a mask and keeping whatever germs I have to myself for the most part. And um, so in some ways, I think that when we're walking around and watching people wear masks, it could be interpreted as a really small effort to imitate the Jesus way of life. I don't have to put this mask on. It's maybe one of my rights to not put the mask on. But when I put it on, what I'm saying is, to whatever degree this is helping, I care about you. And I don't want you to be sick. And if I have something that I might pass on to you, I don't want to pass it on, so I'm going to try to protect you. And so maybe consider seeing, even in this pandemic, ways that we can think about these from a Christian perspective rather than falling into political dichotomies of why we should or shouldn't do some of these things. Instead, let's say, how can we care for the people around us to the best of our ability, the way Jesus has done for us? Our assumption at Mill City Church is that Jesus is always inviting us to join the work that God is already doing. This morning, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to describe to you a pattern of what that work that God is already doing often looks like. The work that God is already doing is to invite people to give up whatever status or privilege or resources or gifts or skills that we have in order to serve and love other people in Jesus' name. And we consider it better, don't we, to serve others than to provide only for ourselves and get what we want. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's what following Jesus looks like in the 21st century. It's this kind of lifestyle, it's this kind of living that makes people around us wonder, why would anyone do that? Why would these people, why would this community go so far out of their way to give to people maybe in a way that they can't even receive anything back? Why would they concern themselves with folks that they have no connection to? This is what makes people wonder about the reality of Jesus and what faith in Jesus might be like. It isn't just about what doctrines we believe. In fact, fewer and fewer people seem interested in what we believe until they see how we believe it and how it lives out in our lives. So I think in the midst of this really hard and challenging set of circumstances we're all in, it's a golden opportunity for us to follow this pattern, to live into the, the Jesus pattern of life and find new ways to give out of what we have received in order to benefit those around us. And then remember to tell them when they ask us, why do you care about this? Why are you doing this? To simply say, because this is the pattern that Jesus laid out for us. And we're trying to live our lives the way that Jesus lived them. Before we turn to our worship uh, set here, I want to give you one more minute of reflection because I know in the midst of life right now, uh, there's not a lot of silence. And there's not a lot of time to think. So um, I've got a, about a minute left in my allotted sermon time. So I want to give you that minute to consider this question. How can I use what I've been given to show the love of Jesus to those around me? How can I use what I've been given 
to show the love of Jesus to those around me, maybe even today or this week. So take a minute and consider that question. I hope you'll find an opportunity this week where God's clearly inviting you to give what you have for the sake of other people, that they might know the love of Jesus in your life. Let me, let me pray for you all before we turn to our, our worship. Jesus, we love you. It's hard to even put our minds around what you've done for us, but we need to be reminded of it. That even in the midst of hard circumstances, you gave yourself up for others. So help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the opportunities that you're placing in our life this week to give even in very small ways uh, to those around us that they might feel and experience the love that you have for them. In your name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.